if you were going to make a Mount Rushmore of religion, I think just almost without even thinking about it, you would go Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. If you had to pick a fourth, there may be some debate between Hinduism and Buddhism as far as world reach and influence and impact, but the first three, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, I think by any measure you want to think of, those would be the, the non-negotiable gotta-haves on this religion rushmore that I'm talking about. And what's interesting about all three of these faiths is that for all of their distinctives, all of the characteristics and peculiarities that distinguish them from one another, they are all spiritually and biologically traceable back to one man. I'm talking, of course, about Abraham. Now, I think it's very important as we begin this teaching series, Founding Father, looking at the life of Abraham, that we make sure that we understand there are massive distinctions between Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. It's one of the most intellectually lazy, philosophically bankrupt positions in the world to say, well, all religions basically the same. They do the same thing. No, they don't. There are some massive, massive differences. We, we don't have time to get into all of those differences, but I just think it's important to state right up front, we're not talking about the same thing, but we are talking about the same guy where it all started, when, when God began to interact in covenant relationship with humanity, and that covenant relationship that finds its ultimate fulfillment in the person of Jesus Christ, the, the author and perfecter of our faith, the author and the perfecter of what it means to have a relationship with God, it all started with Abraham. Now, Abraham, as we're going to see over the next few weeks, Abraham is a fascinating character in himself, in and of himself. He is, he is somebody who, who walked with God faithfully and yet stumbled badly along the way. He, he met with success at a, at a phenomenal level, but also experienced profound failure. He spoke truth and he lied. But one thing that Abraham did over and over again Abraham answered the call. Abraham answered the call of God on his life and from time to time when it would come in new and creative ways from God the Father. So as we begin this teaching series together today, I want you to turn to your neighbor and with summertime, passion and enthusiasm and a smile on your face, look him in the eye and tell him, answer the call. Well done. Well done. Now, when I think of answering the call, I don't know why I have my car keys up here. That, that's just a distraction for me. Something shiny. Um, when it comes to answering the call, I, I have to tell you, I, I have a, a deep, deep um, romantic view of, of sports and athletics. I love Draft day. I don't care if it's the NFL, if it's the NBA, baseball, hockey, cricket in India. I love it 
when guys get the call, women get the call that says, we want you to be on our team, and you see it over and over and over again. You've probably seen the videos of these families that are gathered around the couch, or maybe they're in New York for the draft day festivities, and you just see it all come together. And as I was thinking about this, I thought, well, I could talk about it, but I want to show you one that I just think captures the essence of what I'm talking about. And I promise this connects to the sermon. But watch this real quickly. DK Metcalf. Hello. DK. Yes, sir. Hey, it's John Schneider with the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, how you doing? How you doing, bud? You doing all right? Hey, man, get fired up. We're going to make you a Seahawk right here, okay? Yeah, all right, look forward to this, brother, okay? Here's Coach Carroll. Yes, sir, thank you. DK! Hey, DK, this is Coach Pete Carroll. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. <laughs> Okay, we'll both cry together then, all right? Now, come on. Okay, I want, I want to see, I want to take just a real quick unscientific survey. Who in the room teared up a little bit? Let me just see a show. Okay, everybody whose pulse is beating, thank you. If your hand's not in the air, that's a you problem. Oh, my goodness. Can't you just feel that? And, and I think what's so significant about that moment when it happens, it, it's not... It's not the money that they're about to make, although that doesn't hurt. But it is representative of everything that they have been through to get to that point. It's every hour they've spent on the practice field, every route he's ever run, every minute or hour he spent rehabbing from an injury, all of the meetings that they've been to, all of the dreams that he's had since he was a little kid playing Pop Warner. And in this moment, all of a sudden, you just see that emotion well up, and it's like... Here we go. Now, you and I probably are not going to play in the NFL. I, I don't want to burst anyone's bubble. I know when I, when I learned, when I figured out I was not going to play in the NFL, it was kind of a little bit of a disappointment, but I thought, you know, at 35 years old, it's time to give up the dream. <laughs> but do you understand the reality that God Almighty has a call for your life. There is a calling on your life by virtue of the fact that you were created in the image of God, by virtue of the fact that God dreamed you up. There is a calling on your life. That ought to knock you out of your cushioned seat this morning to understand that it's not just Abraham, it's not just DK Metcalf and guys in the NFL, that God himself has a calling on your life. I think with everything I have, this is part of the reason that the biblical record gives us the life of Abraham, the, a life to, to learn from, a life to emulate, a life to see the patterns as they evolve. Now, I want to take just a quick second and put Abraham off to the side. Because I want to point something out to you that we've been doing now for more than a minute as a church. 
ever since the beginning of this year, we've been doing sermon series together in a different way. There are a lot of different ways that you can skin the sermon cat. You can, you can preach to felt needs. You can preach current events. You can preach expositionally, verse by verse. But if you go back to January of 2021, this year, we've been doing something called narrative preaching. We, and I don't mean just me, I mean you and I together, we've been tracing the biblical narrative of different parts of the Bible. And the reason that I wanted us as the pastor to do this together as a church this year is to learn how to read the Bible for all it's worth. I want you to develop the skill of digesting and processing the Word of God. Eugene Peterson was a pastor and a theologian, a scholar. He was a poet. He was a writer. He is the one who gave us the updated kind of colloquial paraphrase of the entire Bible that we call the message. It's updated. It's, it's a paraphrase. It's not a direct translation, but it does capture the original intent of Scripture just using some of the more modern colloquialisms and slang that you and I use in everyday conversation. And Eugene Peterson wrote that there were four things that we have to remember, we have to do as we read Scripture. And I want to I want to point these out to you so that this becomes a part of how you personally digest the Bible. As you read the Bible, Monday through Saturday, and if you'll notice, there's an assumption in that sentence that, that you're not just picking up the Bible on Sunday morning, but the Bible is a part of your life, that the Word of God is alive and active in your life. And Eugene Peterson said that there are four things we have to remember as we read Scripture. Number one, read Scripture slowly. Read slowly, Peterson said. Number two, read imaginatively. Bring your imagination to Scripture. Now, that doesn't mean that you're here to create and add to Scripture, but I'm going to tell you what I mean by that in just a second. It also said that we're to read the Bible prayerfully, that we engage with God as we read the Bible. And then finally, and really probably the most important piece of this, we read the Bible obediently. We read the Bible and we do what it says to do. And all of these are absolutely mission critical to the process. Slowly, imaginatively, prayerfully, and obediently. You can't scroll the Bible. You, you can't just swipe and get, just kind of give me the highlights so I know what it's supposed to do and go. That's not how the Word of God was written or intended. You see, the Bible, we read the Bible differently from everything else that we read. How many of y'all still read the news, whether in an actual newspaper or online, on a regular basis? I do. How do we read the news? We scan headlines, right? We, we look at what the headlines say and we go, I want to see that. What's that about? I want to see what that's all about. You can't engage with Scripture and read it quickly. You have to read it slowly. You have to, you have to take it in. I, you see, a lot of us, we, we go to the Bible like we're going through the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. Have you ever gotten to the Chick-fil-A drive-thru and seen the line so long that you've thought about leaving, but then you think, no, 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 no. Chick-fil-A is God's favorite restaurant, and they go through very quickly, <laughs> right? And so you, you order on your app, 
pull up, they bring it out, and you're on your way. That's not how you do the Bible. The Bible is not a drive-by book. You have to read it slowly. You have to, you have to, you have to treat the Bible like you're going to Ruth's Chris. And you go, you go to Ruth's Chris, you carve out the night, baby. You, you sit down and you're like, I'll start with some water and lime. Hey, go ahead and bring the bread. I'm going to think about the appetizer. And then you look at the menu and you see the list of appetizers. I think a little shrimp cocktail sounds nice. No, no, you know what? We've got a group. We're going to do the seafood tower. And so we order the seafood tower. And then we're not ready to order the meal yet. No, 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 no. We're going to enjoy each course, course by course by course by course. It's how we do the Bible, that you come to Scripture understanding every single word is inspired. It is God-breathed. And so there's a reason why it's there. So we read it slowly. We read it imaginatively. When you understand that the whole Bible is the story of God and how he calls and collaborates with human beings, you understand that he's called you into this story. And so you have to read with your imagination. You say, God, how do I fit into this story? How do I live my life in a way that is consistent with what you've already laid out here in Scripture? And how can I learn from this what you want for me to learn? So you, you've started that imagination process, but now you're inviting God into it. So that means that by definition, you're reading prayerfully. You're, you're asking God to guide you as you read that. Nobody reads the newspaper like that. You don't read textbooks like that. But you're reading prayerfully. And then to read obediently means that when God lays something out in the Bible, you will trust him more than you trust yourself, more than you trust culture, more than you trust the world. You'll trust God. You trust Jesus, as Derek said just a minute ago, the author and perfecter of our faith. So we read slowly, we read imaginatively, we read prayerfully, and then we read obediently. Then all of a sudden, the Bible starts to make sense, and all of a sudden we start to understand the Bible really is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, exposing our innermost thoughts and desires. It's not just that we read the Bible, the Bible starts to read us, and we get to know God better. We get to understand life and reality better. It's an amazing, amazing gift and tool. And I mention that as we begin this because as we go through this, I want to challenge you to read through the narrative of Abraham's life. We're not going to hit every single verse over the next few weeks. We're going to hit the highlights. We're going to hit kind of the critical, pivotal moments in his life and see how they apply to our lives. But if you've got your Bibles, I want you to look in Genesis chapter 12. The narrative starts kind of out of nowhere. Genesis 11 gives us the Tower of Babel debacle when, when the hubris of humanity decided they were going to marshal all of their technological prowess and build a tower that reached all the way to heaven. God looked at that and went, yeah, I don't think so, and confused the languages and scattered people around the world. And then in Genesis 11, the Bible gives us one of those 
One of those parts that we typically skim over, the genealogies. You know those parts where it goes, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, and you're just like, okay, cool, let me go to the next part. But in this genealogy in Genesis chapter 11, the Bible brings us to a man named Terah. Terah was the father of Abraham. He was the grandfather of Abraham's nephew, Lot. But then in Genesis chapter 12, the story just goes. That we, we know that Abraham existed, and really here he's known as Abram. He hasn't yet had his name changed by God. But look at what the Bible says in Genesis 12. I'm going to start with verses 1 through 3. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. Now, as you read this imaginatively, I want you to put yourself in Abraham's sandals for a second. Think about this. God, how would I respond? If you told me, go, and just, just, just start going. If you notice, he didn't give him a destination. He just said, go. Leave everything that is familiar. Leave everything that you're used to. And go to the land that I will show you. I've got to tell you, that's kind of a staggering prospect, isn't it? What, what if God just, if you heard God audibly right now, just say, go. Pack up. Today's your last day in Austin. Take care. Vaya con Dios. You'd be like, um, I'm going to need to hear that a second time, please. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd like, if you could spell it out in the stars, that'd be even better. Remember what we've already said about Abraham? He answered the call. Look at what it says in verse 4. So, Abram departed as the Lord had instructed. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. 75 years old. Now, this is long after the time. You remember early in Genesis, people were living, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years Abraham was not that guy. He was going to live to be over 100, but he was 75 years old. And what I think is most interesting about Abraham and this call that God had on his life is we have zero track record to go on. There's not one thing that is listed as why God picked Abraham, Abram. We, we don't, it wasn't like he was walking around with a pulpit Bible preaching it wasn't like he was just better than everybody else, but for some reason, God called him. God called him. The call of God is always rooted in the grace of God. And grace means you don't deserve it. You can't earn it. That is so liberating. But it can be for us especially, I think, sometimes kind of frustrating to, to think, well, I mean, I know I don't deserve it. I'm not saying I deserve it, but I mean, come on, I'm, I'm kind of special, aren't I? And to be sure, you're created in the image of God. You're worthy of the love of God. But you and I are no more special or unspecial than anybody else. We're all created in the image of God. We're all created with a call on our lives. We're all created on purpose, with a purpose. 
And yet the call that God has for you, the call that God has for me, the call that he had for Abram, is strictly the product of his grace. You see, this is so important that we understand this throughout Abraham's life as we go through this teaching series together. To understand God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Do you understand the difference there? He, if he calls you, he will equip you. But most of the time that he calls us, it ain't because of anything special that we've done. As a matter of fact, think about the biggest failures in your life. That'll be fun. Just for a second, just think about something that you've done that you hope nobody else in the room knows about, something that you are maybe even ashamed of, or if you know you've been forgiven of it, you still wish it hadn't happened. Anybody have something like that in maybe just, how many of us, it took a long time to really think of that, didn't it? I mean, we've got them, don't we? We remember. Most of the time, that is exactly what God wants to use. Most of the time, our ministry in life is born out of our misery in life. A lot of times, it's what we have gone through. It's things that we have done. It's things that we've been through that God wants to use for his purposes in the world, for his glory, and for our good. Abram was just a guy. He was just a guy, but he answered the call. He answered the call. So, let's talk about that for a second. If you, if you take just this passage of scripture where Abram departed Haran. He left where he was. He went and did what God said to do. Just, just in this little, little sliver of scripture, there is an incredible roadmap for us to follow. Number one, when it comes to answering the call, whatever it may be, trust God's promises. Trust God's promises. What did he say to Abram? He said, I will show you the land that I'm sending you to. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and you will bless the world. He goes, I will show you. I will make you. I will bless you. That still holds true for you and me. If God calls you to something, and by the way, he does. If God calls you to something, he'll show it to you. He's probably, I'm just going to tell you right up front, probably not going to give you the roadmap. Next weekend, I'm going to be, right after church, I'm going to be going to Las Vegas, Nevada to help Joe move back to Austin, our son. And we're going to make about a day and a half trip together across the desert. Now, we know the route we're going to take. We could come south down Interstate 10 through Phoenix and El Paso, or... We could stay a little bit further north and go through Santa Fe and Albuquerque and New Mexico and see some mountains and then, you know, hit the really beautiful spot of Lubbock. <laughs> but we know how we're going to make that trip. God ain't Google Maps. He doesn't give you alternative routes and say, just pick one. He just says, Go. Go, and I will show you. I thought about something recently, and, and I haven't fully developed this, so just bear with me, but see if it doesn't resonate with you and your experience. 
everything in my life that has ever gone well, everything that I've ever done that has, has turned out good, okay? Marrying Julie, um, committing my life to Christ, being a part of the foundation, the starting of Lake Hills Church, these kind of things, everything that's ever gone right. There was an element of fear and unknown and courage. I, I operated from a place of trusting God, not knowing how it would end or even how we would get there. But I, I, I said, okay, we'll, we'll take the first step. We'll get married. I remember standing at the altar, do you, Mac, take this one? I do. And, and that began the process. Everything that I'm not proud of, every significant mistake that I've made, every pattern of sin that I could look back over my 54 years and identify was rooted in fear. I, I was afraid that, that I wasn't enough or that, that God was not in something or I was afraid that I was miss out on something and I just noticed this, this juxtaposition between courage and fear. And when I operate out of fear, it, it never goes well. Never. You, you will never, ever, 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 ever choose a great boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse out of fear. <laughs> if you're afraid of something, don't be making that choice. But in courage... Trusting that God will show, God will bless, God will make something of what you're doing. It's, it's, it's trusting in the promises of God. It's knowing that it's not about us, it's about him. And for some reason, he's called us to do something in his name for his purposes. Trust the promises of God. Real quickly, in Romans chapter eight, there's a passage of scripture that I come back to a lot. Does anybody ever wrestle with, with stress? Can I just see a show of hands? If you, if, you do, if you don't want to raise your hand, that's fine. If you're too stressed to raise your hand. <laughs> Sometimes I can get wrapped around the axle. I'm just keeping it real. This is what I come back to. This is the promise of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39. It's not on the screen. Just listen. Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, Mac, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know what that verse is for me? That's just a deep cleansing breath. Just when you realize that God never quits loving you probably is not going to change the perspective of, of it's not going to change the circumstances that are going on that you are stressed about 
but it changes the way you look at it. It changes when you understand the promise of God and that the promises of God are always trustworthy. One of the advantages you have to being old is that you've, you've seen God do this over and over again. You, you see his track record. And when you see this track record over time, you see it recorded in your prayer journal, you just kind of step back and go, oh, that's right. God's got this. God's, he, he's, he didn't bring us all the way this far to leave us hanging. Trust his promises. This is what Abram does. This is, this is the example that he sets. Number two, trust God's provisions. Trust God's provisions. God has already given you everything you need to take the next step. Everything that you need to take the next step, you've already got. Man, can I tell you how many times I have done this and I've seen other people? Like, if I just, or when I get, when I become, then I will. It's not how it works. Trust God's provisions as is. Abram departed Haran. He just left knowing that God would provide. He had already provided for him. He trusted his provisions. Number three, trust God's protections. Trust the protection of God. God said, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who treat you with contempt. If God's called you, and by the way, God has called you. If he's called you, he will protect you. He will take care of all of your needs. He will defend you. You will have troubles in this world, Jesus said, but take heart because I've overcome the world. When Jesus rose from the dead, that means nothing else wins. There, there may be battles and skirmishes that we lose along the way, but the war has already been decided. So trust the protection of God. And then number four, number four, obey God's leading. This, I want you to preach this last part for me, will you? Will you do that? I want you to turn to your neighbor and, and, and please put a smile on your face. Smiles really matter. So I'm not being shallow. Smile and tell them, do it. Okay, that was a good warm-up. <laughs> I want you to tell them like you mean it and like you believe it. If they will do it, they will answer the call. So, so tell them, do it. Yeah. Abram departed Haran. You will never fulfill the call of God in your life standing still. It will require change. I visited with a good friend of mine recently who's deep into his 60s and is planning for retirement. And I put retirement in quotes because this is a guy like me who does not believe we are wired up to quit working and go play golf all the time. All the time. But I asked him as he's working on this transition professionally over the next four years, I said, have you figured out what your life's gonna look like on the other side. He goes, Mac, I have no idea, and I'm terrified and thrilled out of my mind. 
I thought, you know what? That's kind of where we should all be. We should all be in a place where we're not really sure where we're going, but we trust God enough to know that he will show us the land where he is leading us. He will show us, and so we will take the steps. We will take that step of faith. We will take the risk of stepping out and leaving Haran. Now, later we're going to see that God told Abram, who becomes Abraham, I will send you to the promised land, the land that I am promising you and your descendants. It's fascinating to me how this plays out. I want to ask you just real quickly, skip over to Genesis 15 for just a quick second. In Genesis 15, there's this incredible moment between God and Abram. 15, 5, and 6, the Bible says, Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Think about that. Walk out and look up into the sky and and just start to count the stars. Here's what's fascinating, among other things. Abram is 75 years old, and he has no children. And God says, you're going to have more descendants than you could even count. In another passage, God says, just try to count the grains of sand on the beach, Abram. That's how many descendants you will have. Now, i got to tell you, if I'm 75 years old and I've never had kids and God tells me I'm going to have a child, I'm exhausted just thinking about that. Man, when God does what only God can do, it becomes more than we could even ask or imagine. I didn't finish reading that verse. Verse 6, And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Now look look real quick. Those verses in parentheses, Romans chapter four, verse three, Galatians chapter three, verse six, James chapter two, verse 23. Over in the New Testament, about mm, 2,000 years after Abraham lived, they were still saying the same thing about him. He believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord and he was counted as righteous. Abram was a guy just like you and me. He sinned, he messed up. He dropped the ball, he fumbled badly, but he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. What God did with Abraham is the same thing he does with us. He calls us. He he calls us, first of all, into relationship with himself, but then he calls us to particular tasks, particular opportunities. 
I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, I want to just ask you if you've done what Abram did in Genesis chapter 12. Have you departed Haran? Have you left what was old, what is familiar, and stepped into the new life of a relationship with Christ? It's, it's a very simple question. It's the most profound question you'll ever answer, but it's simple. It's, it's binary. It's a zero or a one. It's a yes or a no. If you haven't, then as a church, we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now, to pray right where you're sitting. Maybe you're watching online in a coffee shop somewhere. The location is irrelevant. The volition is everything. The choice, the will to respond to God's grace calling and enter into that relationship with Him. If that's you, then just pray silently right where you are, something like this. Just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you for the forgiveness of my sin. I need you for life, to live the life you're calling me to, you've created me for. And so I confess my sin to you, holding nothing back in order to receive the fullness of your grace, your forgiveness. And I will follow you from this moment forward. In Jesus' name. Just for a moment, I want to ask you to remain with your heads bowed. If you just prayed that prayer, this is the biggest moment of your life. And as a church family, there's nothing more important to us than this moment in your life. This moment in your life is why we exist and to help with every moment that comes after it. So if that's you, in just a moment, we'll give you some information about how to participate in that. But right now, I just want to ask you as our heads are bowed, would you just raise your hand? If that was your prayer, if you stepped into that relationship for the first time, just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a second as a statement physically of the commitment spiritually that you just made. And know that as a church, we celebrate that with you. And our family tradition around here is that you can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're going to put our hands together and tell you welcome home. Welcome home.